All right, guys. Hey, how's it going? Uh, Honest Youth Pastor here, Michael from the Honest Youth Pastor. Today, we're going to do something. Uh, it's going to be a sermon review, uh, as you can see on the screen. Uh, in case you don't know this pastor, his name is Judas Smith. Now, couple things before we start. This particular sermon is from their online youth camp. Um, and I want to provide a link so you can watch the whole thing. But you basically have to have their app to watch it because they do not at, as of the recording of this video, they do not have it up on their YouTube. It may be there by the time you watch this. If it is, it's called the Two Mile Generation. He'll note that here in a minute. Uh, I have recorded this thing straight through. And depending on time, as far as the length of the video, I may cut and edit this um, and upload an edited version. I'm going to try to upload a non-edited version so you can watch both. But just in case time-wise you don't have a ton of time, you can watch the non-edited version if you'd like. It's going to be shorter, or the edited version rather, it'll be shorted. Now, if you want the whole sermon without any of my uh, commentary, uh, you can get it by downloading their app called Church Home and searching Two Mile Generation and the video you see will come up and you'll be able to watch it. So uh, two things before we start. One, uh, this is not a, uh, an attack on Judas Smith. This is just honestly, somebody sent me an Instagram clip that he has up on his Instagram page and I watched the clip and I thought that's, I don't know, that sounds a little off. So uh, I didn't want to take him out of context. So I decided that I would watch the whole sermon. I watched the whole sermon and I thought, uh, this would be a wonderful exercise in teaching exegesis um, so that we can, you know, uh, understand that better. Because on the page, on the Instagram page, we talk about uh, hermeneutics and exegesis a lot and understanding it. And this sermon is a really good example of how not to do that well. Um, again, this is your critique. You can obviously disagree all you want, but um, I hope to, as we run through this sermon, to show a couple things about uh, exegesis specifically. A little bit about hermeneutics. Um, so just so you know, not I don't mean this as an attack on him. I don't want to cancel Judah. There's obviously things that you'll hear throughout this sermon uh, that I disagree with um, and I don't think are proper draws from the text at all. Uh, but we'll look at those. That's the whole point of this is to critique and teach and review. Um, so I'm not canceling him. I don't know if I would recommend you listening to him. Uh, but all that being said, let's jump into this. This was... Uh, a part of their online youth camp, and this message is specifically directed at teenagers, though he will note, um, he'll note in it that he knows other people are watching as well. So let's start, and then I'll pause and go as we go through it. KYC, like, where is it going to be a little longer than 12 minutes? It's going to be 120 minutes. I'm kidding. Relax. Every time uh, I hear by that, the way, I this is an amazing moment. Like this Chris is our first he says uh, virtual camp. Is that what we're calling it? Do we call it virtual camp, Kramer? virtual, online, uh, uh, the internet camp, uh, the digital camp. Uh, my children are going to camp here. It's pretty exciting. Uh, I love you, Smith kids, so much. I want to jump right in. Okay. Here's the title of my message for the last night of YC Camp. Are you ready? Here's the title, The Two-Mile Generation. I want to show right. you um, how I believe your generation will go further than my generation. All right, so let's stop that right now. So keep that in mind. The point of him preaching from this text, and you'll you'll hear it throughout, is to say that um, the generation he's speaking to, so we're talking about high schoolers and junior hires, will go further with Jesus 
than his generation. And then as, I mean, with him saying that, he means any generation before him as well. And us, uh, he's saying that it will be junior high and high schoolers that their generation will follow Jesus further. And that's why he's called it the two-mile generation. So let's go into it because I think right there we have some flaws. Uh, but uh, flaws being I don't, I don't see any text that comes to mind um, that would say that. But let's go and keep on chucking along. And I want to say this. This country and the countries of the world need a two-mile generation. And I'll explain to you what I mean. I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 Sermon and on the verse mouth. 38 says this. Jesus now, Sermon on the Mount, one of the great, if not the most famous sermon ever preached. He says this. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you or take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Listen now to this portion of scripture. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do that? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Last verse, Matthew 6, verse 48. You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We'll stop. Okay, so just pausing real quick right there, right? So he's reading a, a, a wonderful portion of the Sermon on the Mount. And just to set the tone here, because I need to, uh, to set up this text so that we know what it, what it says. So as we go into the sermon here, we, we understand in light of the text what we should be getting and being taught out of this particular text on the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus is talking to a group of, of Jewish people that are following him for a couple different reasons we see in the Gospels. They're following him because of the way he teaches. They're following him because of the things that he uh, has been said to do or that they have seen him do as far as miracles. And they're all there, and he sits down, and he starts to teach uh, with authority. And he gets to this part, and he's talking about their enemies, those that that, that would physically hurt them, those that would sue them and take the things that they, uh, they have, uh, those that would persecute them, those that would uh, demand that they carry their things. That it, we'll, we'll focus on that here in a minute because that's what he's going to focus on. But the text is set up in such a way that it is to say that those that are your enemy, you are to, to do for them more than is expected. You were to actually show them at a level uh, far above uh, what is expected even when they are adamantly against you, even when there is unjust laws that are making you do things, that's pointing back to the uh, when you're asked to carry something one mile, then you carry it two, right? So even when there's an unjust law there, you actually go above and beyond the unjust law in order to show them what? Well, within the context of the Sermon on the Mound, Jesus is setting up the principles for people that live in his kingdom. So people that follow him are kingdom people. They are following Jesus, and as such, their lives are so radically changed. So, right, this is just one radical thing that Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount. There's so much more 
in this text that just it turns everything on its head it raises the bar like it is insane the things that jesus says for his time and for our time so if we're looking specifically at the text that judah just read it is this text that that says those that are against you you go above and beyond for them because you are a kingdom people so you love those that don't love you and then he goes on to this whole idea that hey of course you can love somebody that loves you because everybody can do that. But a kingdom people actually loves those that persecute them. A kingdom people loves those that, that do harm to them, that, that, are, uh, that are over them. And he's telling them this, right? So the context here, the scenario, he's telling this to a group of Jewish people under oppressive Roman rule, okay? So we don't have to guess that it's oppressive. I mean, uh, we could read history and see that, but we can also just read the Bible and see that, that uh, Jesus' disciples specifically, as well as the people that followed him, had this idea in their head that Jesus, as the Messiah, was coming to rule and reign now in Jerusalem. So he was going to overthrow the oppressive Roman government, and he was going to sit on the throne, and he was going to rule, and they were going to be in power. Uh, and so the idea here is that he's talking to uh, people that are under oppression from a different, uh, from a government that they don't want over them. And he's saying, hey, those people, you love them. Those people that are over you that persecute you, those that are take more than they should from you, like that's who you are supposed to love. Why? Because you're a kingdom people. All right. So keep that in mind as we go forward now into the rest of this sermon. Right there. I want to talk to you about the two mile generation. Will you pray with me one more time, YC? God, thank you for the minutes and moments we share. There is so much we can say, so much we can think about, but we ask you to help us to synthesize, to distill down what you want to say to the extraordinary young people of church home. God, I thank you for every young man and every young woman watching. I thank you have plans not to hurt them, harm them, but to bless them and to shock them with the plans and purposes you have for their life. We thank you for your grace and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Okay, so this is not what this video is about, right? We're not critiquing prayers here. But I have said in other posts that you need to listen to the prayers that are being prayed. And if you noticed, he said that, you know, that they are only going to be blessed and prosperous and things like that. So just keep that in mind. Um, that says a lot about his mindset going into this as well, um, but that's just an aside. Amen. These are unprecedented days in the United States of America. It obviously occurs to me, and I realize that this YC camp that we're having is global. There are people watching, no doubt, from other nations of the world. Welcome. We are so glad you're here. Church Home is a church for the world. We are not just a USA church. We are not just a Seattle church. We're not just an LA church. We are a global church. We are a mobile church. Church home exists to have church in your home, to function like a family and function like a home. But I realize... Also, again, I'm not going to break in a thousand times with these side notes, but just as a side note here as well, uh, the Bible clearly lays out in the New Testament about what a church is supposed to look like, right? So it's supposed to have qualified elders over it. There's a certain amount of uh, things that are supposed to happen in a service as far as the teaching of Scripture. The person that does that is supposed to be a qualified elder. Um, they're supposed to be praising to God. Like there's all these things that are supposed to happen. And I know we have like incredible technology right now, 
but if you are and this is just maybe we'll do a video on this specifically but if if you get your church only through your app right and you're not part of a physical body over an actual elder uh or under an actual elder that preaches the word that's qualified to do so by scripture um there's a problem there right so if you're viewing all of your sermons through church home you're not actually going to church biblically that's not me the bible lays out what church is supposed to look like is that some of the comments that i'm about to make tonight here at yc camp certainly speak directly to what is actually transpiring as i speak in the united states of america so i said it about in our 10 minute what's going section, on culturally but, right uh, now. or segment but at, at the thought that maybe you missed that part and have just tuned in, I want to quote LeBron James. I found it incredibly insightful and convicting. Last night he had a press conference, and by the way, it was awesome. So far he hasn't found the Bible convicting, but he's found LeBron James convicting. Awesome to see the NBA. I know much has been made of whether or not it's safe or we should or we shouldn't, and I can't speak to that. I don't have enough information. I'm certainly not a medical doctor, but what I do know is it was awesome to see number 23 do his magic last night in some of the preseason games. Having said that, in the press conference, I believe before the game, LeBron was asked about the state of our country and what's going on. He was asked about Black Lives Matter and what many have coined, including myself, a movement possibly the greatest human rights movement. Okay, so just as a note here, okay, the job of a pastor is to teach the scripture. Now, part of teaching the scripture is very much applying the scripture to Christians today. That's part of it, 100% part of it, right? So he's not out of line for necessarily bringing up, hey, this is what's happening culturally. But let's see if he connects what's happening culturally to contextually what's happening in the verses he read, which we've already talked about. Because if he doesn't, then there's an issue here with any sermon. And this isn't just with Judah, okay? We're using him as a teachable example of what exegesis uh, isn't. Um, so that we can know what it is. So we know what to listen for, okay? So he's read the text, which is great. Some pastors don't even do that anymore. He's read the text. We've talked about what it means. So let's see if he follows the connection between content that we read and you know cultural context that we read and our culture now. We have ever seen in our nation's history, potentially around the world. And LeBron said this, I don't like the term movement, he said. I don't like the term movement. And he said, because I wake up black, I'm not a movement, I'm a person. And he said this, it's a lifestyle. And I wanna talk about that because I think there's so much about my generation. We see where we are right now, we see it as a movement. I think your generation, young people, are gonna see it as a lifestyle. A lifestyle that lives and loves and looks. Okay, so I think that's, a, he's making some false equivalencies here in the sense that he's saying that his generation, my generation, anybody above us sees it as a movement, like the church is a movement, uh, whereas the younger generation is going to see it as a lifestyle. Now, if you've not been in church your whole life, you're not going to know that this happens. But if you have grown up in church or happen to go to a camp or a conference as a, as a teenager 10, 15, 20 years ago, um, you're going to know that this is the same regurgitated thing that you've always heard. Every, in, Just in case this is the first time you're hearing this, 
every generation in their teens that's ever participated in a youth activity ever that the church has held has always been told you're the next generation that's actually going to believe and take it further because our generation has failed it's i'm telling you it's it's like uh, <laughs> it's like fashion from the 60s that comes back around or the 80s that comes back around right i mean it's the same regurgitated thing so if that's true let's at least see if he fleshes that out but his claim here is that they're going to be the two mile generation he's basing that on the text of matthew he's read and they're going to be that because they're going to see christianity as a lifestyle and not a movement so let's see how he fleshes this out looks like jesus i want to call you for what it's worth i want to call you tonight the two mile generation what do i mean I actually believe that your generation is supposed to walk farther with Jesus than we have walked. I am not going to hold back that I'm going to tell you the truth. I, I am means. in a very um, difficult place emotionally in relationship to the mainstream evangelical church right now. There okay, so there's two things. <laughs> I hate to keep interrupting, but I need you to see this, right? Two things to listen for. One... He's saying that he's in a difficult spot right now with the evangelical church. So that's that's saying two things, really. One is that he's rocking the boat quite a bit, and therefore he's upsetting people, okay? Uh, for the wrong or the right reasons, again, we're not going to talk about that. We're talking about exegesis. Two, he's connecting to the disenfranchised youth that feel like, hey, I'm at odds with the church right now, too, because of this or that. So just hear, I need you to hear that, right? So as we're going through and he's, uh, you know, part of uh, a sermon is connecting to the audience, bringing them into the text so you can connect what's happening with the text that you've looked at contextually. So just so you know, um, two things have already happened in the last couple of minutes. He said, hey, you guys are the next generation. You're actually going to get it, which as I've already said, is a regurgitated term that every youth pastor has ever used and ever um, and then now he's saying, hey, I feel just as disenfranchised as you do because of what I'm saying here, and I'm being bold in saying it. So just catch that. There is much fodder. There is much information and data and statements and phrases and posts on social media right now that are very difficult for me. Some people are discounting the term Black Lives Matter. Some churches are saying it's political. Some churches are standing with political parties and saying you need to vote for this person or vote for that person. Which I, I Some people are saying let's just get over it. Let's just move on. And I would like to say this to you young people. We will not be a group of people that try to settle down what God has shaken. And I have to admit... Okay, so time out. Is this a sermon, all right? I'm exegetically here. Is this a sermon about loving your enemies despite what they do to you because you are kingdom people? Or is this a sermon about movements and uh, political parties and things like that? Like, which is it? I believe with all of my heart that this is a sovereign act of God in the history of the United States of America, and I believe the nations of the world are watching. But here is my concern, and I mean this personally about myself. 
I believe that so much of my generation, when it came to following Jesus and still are following Jesus, we have some stopping points that I don't believe you'll have. What do I mean by stopping points? I mean points where we excuse ourselves from loving our neighbor, living with empathy, and walking with compassion. I'd like to suggest that you are not going to have that stopping point, that you are not going to be deterred. Why? That you are not going to be swayed. Okay, why? That the... Even the comments or opinions of others will not keep you from gospel living, from gospel walking, from gospel speaking, that we will speak of the story of Jesus and we will live the story of Jesus. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus... Okay, so now I've watched this three times. I forget what he's about to say, but, um, and he may say this, so if he does, whatever, Um, but... He's, he's just stated the point that his generation, my generation, any generation before has had stopping points that do not allow us to love our enemies, uh, to, to, you know, to do everything that he's read in Matthew. But the younger generation won't have that problem. Now, he is yet to answer why that magically disappears between generations. But I would argue that that is just an asinine st- topic to even to bring up because this is why this is why this is so incorrect is because if he were to actually preach the word the word that he read like from the bible uh the the if he would actually preach the word within context saying that hey everything we've already talked about at the beginning right love your enemy because you are kingdom people uh those that are over you that are oppress you give them more than they even ask for because you are kingdom people um if he would actually preach that There wouldn't be stops there because as we proclaim the word, the Holy Spirit comes and convicts our hearts even more through the power of sanctification in our lives to make us more like Jesus. And those stops slowly dissolve or immediately dissolve. It works differently for different people. But the proclamation of the word then removes those stops that he said, we just we can't do it. But you're going to be able to do it, younger generation like my generation can't. Those stops are just kind of there. We're stuck. We can't love those people. Uh, Ironically, if you were to actually preach the word, it would convict hearts and minds and the Holy Spirit would sanctify us more to be more like Jesus so that we can then see people like we haven't seen them before if those stops are there. But magically, apparently, it's a generational thing. It's totally generational. The, The younger generation is more enlightened. They don't even have to be convicted. They just they're just gonna love like Jesus. Let's go on. It says so much, and we don't have time tonight because this sermon is also supposed to be 10 minutes. I'm kidding. It's going to be a little bit longer, but not much longer. Jesus says this amongst a myriad of other things. He said, hey, listen, if somebody asks you to go a mile, I want you to go two. Now, what you may not know is that Jesus is referencing a cultural historical fact, and that was this, that Roman soldiers, by law, according to Rome, were allowed to compel any innocent bystander, any patron, any so citizen would that, be a just law that was just or an by the side law? of the road. If that Roman soldier was weary from carrying their armor or their weapons, they were allowed to put to a citizen, they were allowed to put on this person their armor or their weapons and compel that person to carry their armor and their weapon one mile. Now, by law, Mm -hmm. after a mile, they had to take back the, the weight of the armor and the weapons. Jesus says, if a Roman soldier, inferring it, 
ask you by law, which was not pleasant or enjoyable, to carry his heavy armor or weapons, I want you to go further. I want you to go further than the law. I want you to go further than what's required. I want you to go further than what's expected. I want you to go further than what everybody just does. I want you to go two miles. Of course, the sermon gets worse, so to speak, because Jesus will go on to say, your culture, your traditions, your customs teach you that you love those who love you. You're kind to those who are kind. You're caring to those. You go to people's houses that agree with you, that look like you, that talk like you, that act like you. And Jesus says, that is no different from any other human being on the planet. But for those of you that follow me, believe in me, want to look like me and live like me, I want to teach you a further way of living. A far okay, so... Part of what he's saying here is accurate in the sense that it, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, the description that we talked about, is talking about uh, a, a total change to where now you go above and beyond. Okay. Now, let's see how he connects that to what's happening culturally. So let's just pretend that he didn't make the false equivalent that his generation can't do it and they can do it. Let's pretend like that doesn't even exist, even though that's totally incorrect and see if uh, he connects the cultural context of what's going on with, um, with, with uh, the text with current uh, culture. Farther way of living. I want you to go further. I want you to go further. I want to be bold with youth culture tonight because, I, first of all, I think you're a lot smarter than anybody realizes. You are quite possibly the smartest generation that's ever lived. How? I have told my boys, I have a 16 and a 13-year-old, I have told them I, mean, you're just I have no idea what it is like to be a teenager in 2020. Not only do I have no idea, I shudder to think what it that's must be true. like. To be a teenager totally right different. now that with all the impulses and desires else. and images and opportunities and temptations and all kinds of data and information the, and opinions and concepts and, and it's so uh there's so many categories there's so many divisive concepts and languages and worldviews and i'll just say it plainly it was a lot different in 1995 when i was 16. There actually, I know this is hard to believe, young people, there was no social media when I was 16 years old. And the world was a better place. I don't even think place. there was an internet. Was there? Was the internet, <laughs> did the internet exist in 1995? Does anyone know oh, the internet? Can anyone I hate give this part me? Of it did exist in 1995? Rambling for it no did? reason. Like AOL? Yeah, AOL, okay. When did the internet start? Let's just talk about this for a second. Anyone know? In the 80s? Shaddai is going on record right now to say the internet started in the 80s. He was born in like 94. So anyways, it was, um, the point is, uh, it was totally different at yes, my age. It was. I can't imagine what it's like to be a teenager right now. You're my hero. You are extraordinary. In, to my, in my opinion, you are the most extraordinary group of young people this world has ever seen, and certainly this nation has ever seen. And I would like to go on record. As uh, I would just like to go on record before he goes on record and says that uh, what happened to World War One and World War Two? What about that generation, right? That just was like, hey, we're going to go defend freedom. But whatever. I mean, we're not paying attention to history anyway, so 
say, you are going to walk further with Jesus than I ever even imagined. I want to give you a few stopping points. That Where does it say that generation. in the Bible? Any indication? There are certain things that cause my generation to stop loving their neighbor, to stop caring, to stop serving. Do you remember one of the original questions in the history of mankind? Do you remember Cain and Abel, first two brothers in all the Bible? Do you remember Cain murders Abel? And then he literally says to God, am I? God says, where is Abel? God doesn't ask questions, he doesn't have answers to. He's making a statement and Cain goes, am I my brother's keeper? And the rest of the Bible answers the question emphatically, yes, you are. I want to remind you, young Okay, hold on. So uh, the rest of the Bible is not about Cain and Abel and the fact that you're your brother's keeper. The Bible is God's overarching plan in human history to show that he is a redemptive God that works within human history to fulfill the promises that he has made and that he is good and that he's all-powerful and that absolutely nothing can come against him. So is there a storyline in the Bible that says you are to love others as God loves you? Yeah. Is there actually words stated that says you were to love God and love your neighbor? Yeah. So in a very loose way, perhaps, but I think we just missed out on a really big gospel opportunity here to talk about the overarching story of the Bible. People theologically, that man, that woman, that ethnicity, that people group, that is you. That is your brother. That is your sister. We are literally defacing ourselves. We are literally debasing ourselves. We are literally demeaning ourselves. We are literally devaluing ourselves. Racism is a trick. Racism is a sin. Racism is a ploy. And it tells you that you're better than someone else. And that's a lie. And the more you lean into that and... Okay, so he's, he's correct on the definition of racism. Uh, I'm confused here exegetically, sermon-wise, um, how uh, he stated, for example, that his generation, my generation, has blockers. We have stops that, in it, that make it to where we can't love our neighbor like we're supposed to. Uh, they're not going to have, like the younger generation, the people that he's talking to, are not going to have these issues. But yet, he has to define racism and tell them that they shouldn't do that. Which, inarguably... They are probably, if we're talking about generations, they probably are the generation that uh, is least likely to be racist just because of how they've grown up and what they've heard. Uh, they're probably overly sensitive to the subject, to be honest with you. Um, but I just want you to, like, again, we're looking at the sermon. We're looking at exegesis. We, we're looking at connecting what has been said in Matthew to what he's saying now and if he is um, properly teaching the text. Okay, so he's he's talked about racism, about how it's defacing that it's, you know, that is thinking you're better than somebody else. All right. So let's jump in so we don't lose his point. Believe that and accept that and internalize that you cheapen the human experience. And at best, you become a parody of what the purpose of mankind actually is. What's the purpose no, of mankind? No, you you are him. You are he. You are she. You are them, and you are they, and they are you. We are the human 
race. There you go. I thought and he was yet, using personal pronouns. On this night, defining it. Friday night, July something. I don't even know the date. Um, is it just me or is COVID just, I've thrown out all dates. I don't even know the dates anymore. I don't know what, but we are uh, the 22nd. I just got, no, the 42nd. No, the 24th. 24th. Okay. I'm like 42nd. I don't know. I don't think there's a 42nd in any month, but I'm going to go with that. Uh, the 24th of July, 2020. Here we are. And as we're talking from this stage at YC camp, there are literally Bible believing, Jesus worshiping Christians who are indifferent and in some cases indignant that statements like Black Lives Matter are swelling, growing, and popularizing, and the constructs of this country are beginning to shift and change. Beginning to shift and change. I want to urge you. Okay, so he's absolutely correct. Um, now, I think there's two issues here that he's using an enormously broad brush to just paint over, okay? First, there are uh, Bible-believing Christians that are indifferent to certain sins in the world. He's dealing with racism. It's not what the text deals with, but fine. Let's go there since he's making the text say that. Um, those Christians, again, that he's talking about, those Bible-believing Christians, as I've already stated, but in case you've missed it, would have the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to convict their hearts and their minds of whatever uh, bigotry, racism, whatever the things that he's stating that they have in their hearts still, if the, the text was preached correctly. Like if it was taught that, hey, those that are over you, that have power over you, that have put unjust laws on top of you, that are persecuting you, that literally take your, they steal from you, those people. Love those people the way God loves you. Why? Because you are a kingdom individual. So changed, so radically changed by God's love for you and what he's done and that inworking of the spirit in you that you now act so different from the world because the world doesn't do that. The world doesn't love their enemy. The world doesn't go above and beyond to to, to help those that persecute them. The world doesn't walk an extra mile, uh, but you do. Why? Because you're kingdom individuals. Now, I'd like to note here in this part of his sermon, as we're reviewing hermeneutics and exegesis and application, that he hasn't once made a difference between uh, Christians and non-Christians. Now, he's speaking to, and every pastor is speaking to, especially if he's speaking to a, a screen, he has no idea who's watching. There definitely needs to be a difference made and a statement made that those that follow Jesus are different than those that don't follow Jesus. Those that are repentant of their sins are much different than those that are not repentant of their sins. Um, a pastor in a church with people in front of him don't necessarily need to do that every Sunday because he knows the heart of his congregation most likely, uh, though he does need to mention it pretty often. Uh, but here, there's been no differentiation which is important because what that means is whoever's hearing this is assuming certain things about themselves that Jude is saying that textually aren't correct. So uh, let's keep going on that, but I just wanted you to hear that. Um, 
that what, what we're doing now is we're almost making the text say the opposite of what it actually says. To be one of the truest generations who actually understands American history. I'm going to ask you, at 41, I am learning American history. Okay, so I learned yesterday that Manhattan Beach in Los Angeles used to be called Bruce's Beach. Bruce's Beach was the last name of a black family who settled on that beach and allowed it to be a resort for other black families, of course, in the midst of extreme segregation. It was the Ku Klux Klan that moved in. This is historical fact, and you can do your own research. The Ku Klux Klan moved in, removed in ways we can only imagine, removed all of the black families took over, and that beach is now known as Manhattan Beach, one of the most famous beaches in the United States of America. Black people lost their lives for no reason at all but for being black, and, and their homes were taken from them. What is that? That's American history. That's American history. I dream of a generation who knows American history. I know Anglos. Okay, so pause. That was the, that was an amazing opportunity to connect culture to the Bible. That was an amazing opportunity to connect what he read in Matthew to what has happened and is happening. But he doesn't do that. He, he's talking about history and what history they should know, and the, and the Ku Klux Klan. I mean, he had, let me name the opportunities that he had. He had the opportunity to talk about sin. He had the opportunity to talk about people who thought they were Christians that didn't understand the word, okay? He had the opportunity to connect the fact that in Matthew, as we've talked about, there was an unjust, uh, unjust system above the Jews, uh, government, not a system, an unjust government above the Jews, and the Jews had to live in it. They, had, they didn't have a choice. There had been revolts. They had been squashed, right? They didn't have a choice. And there were unjust rules in place above them. There were unjust people above them. And Jesus says, you love those unjust people, and you go above and beyond on those unjust rules. Okay, he had a way to connect that to American history. Horrible things have happened. It, it, that story right there is absolutely horrendously horrible. It is a, a wonderful picture of what sin looks like and how bad sin can be. And he had a good opportunity to connect how bad sin is, how unjust people hurt other people because they don't understand the Imago Dei, and that people that are Christians are able to say, hey, that is unjust, but I'm going to love you in all of that because I'm commanded to as, as a kingdom individual. Not, neglate, not negating the fact that that is a horrible event and that you know Christians should come alongside people and say, hey, how can I help you? What can I do? But why? Not only the people that were hurt, but the people that did the harming. Christians come alongside and say, hey, how can I pray for you? How can I love you? How can I help you? Because of the gospel. But we're not going to talk about that. I mean, just listen. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to make that amazing connection. That's in American history. I don't know American history. For black history is American history. We are all citizens of the United States of America.
I believe you're going to be the generation that grows up knowing the full scope and scale of what is actually the history of the United States of America. Again, he could connect this at any point to Matthew. Because at my age and my generation, at any point. I want to urge or I want to uh, say again, we have some stopping points. I want to speak to those stopping points, and I want to give you just a couple of points on where I think you should walk with Jesus past my generation's stopping point. For instance, here's my first one. I Here believe go. you're going to be a generation that will walk further than Sunday service. You'll walk further with Jesus than just attending a building on Sunday. You'll walk beyond Sunday. Okay, time out. If you remember back at the beginning of this video when I said, hey, this is the same regurgitated thing, this is the same regurgitated thing, right? I can't tell you how many times when I was in youth group at conferences, it was that you are going to be the generation that every day is Sunday, not just Sunday. Here's the truth of it. That's true for those whose hearts have been changed by the gospel, going back to Matthew where we read, and they're now a kingdom people that love their enemies because of the change in who we follow. That doesn't just happen because they're a generation. This isn't a generational issue. It's a sin issue that we have failed to talk about and connect to the scripture that we've read. So his first point is they are going to be a generation that goes beyond Sunday. How? Because part of preaching the word is applying it and telling the how. You'll be a Monday kind of generation. You'll be a Tuesday kind of generation. You'll be the kind of generation that knows the story of Jesus, that knows your history, that understands the different ethnicities that make up the wonderful image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I believe you are going to live way beyond. We have a generation, my generation, even right now in the midst of what? COVID, there is such an upheaval. People That's my age to the saying to themselves, we need to have church again. Oh, here we go. Okay. We still have in church. I don't know if you knew that. In fact, if you do some of your history, the church has never been synonymous with buildings. That's incorrect. It has never been synonymous with programs and productions. It is synonymous with people living on mission. Translation, people following Jesus. That's part of it. But he just completely ignored all of the early church meeting and the regulations given for a meeting. So it's not a building, no, but it's definitely meeting, definitely meeting together. Um, also ignored, uh, whether you like it or not, uh, the early church within the cathedral era and the, the big push for missions and making sure that uh, the church infiltrated culture to an extent that you have these enormous chapels, which were connected to church. The building was connected to church like that. Right or wrong. The statement was it's never been connected to a building, which is incorrect. In fact, it's almost always been connected to a building. And when it wasn't connected to a building, it was connected to the meeting of God's people around the preaching and the proclamation and the worship of who God is. So you can get super excited about it, but that's incorrect. And also within the purpose of this video of looking at exegesis and hermeneutics and how it all ties together that has nothing to do with the text. 
Jesus. Sunday is where we give people tools through the story of Jesus to walk out his compassion, love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, and empathy, all the things that make up the person of Jesus. America yeah, needs a generation that follows Jesus past Sunday. That's what we need. America needs a generation where preachers follow Jesus past Sunday. America no, need needs the kind of generation preach. where preachers only preach what they already live. That's what we need in America. I can agree with that. Our stopping point for many in my generation, and some people my age are watching this, they're not going to like this, but you are my age and I am your age, so I'm picking on my own kind, so bear with me. We are the most church-going generation in it's terms of we love our numbers, programs, we love our buildings, we love that. Now, keep in mind, I'm not against any of these things. I literally am in a 250,000-square-foot church facility in Seattle, Washington, as I speak. Behind this camera is 2,200 seats that used to be filled with the most extraordinary people I've ever met in my whole life, church home. I'm not against it. I'm just saying it's one small aspect of what makes up the church. I'm looking for a generation that will grow up and they'll know how to walk with Jesus on an average Thursday afternoon. Okay. We'll know Excellent. how to walk with Jesus how? in how the streets. We'll know how to walk out the love of Jesus how are they in difficult real life you just read? situations. How? I believe you're going to be a two-mile generation. I believe how? you're going to go further. You're gonna, where, where my generation stopped, you're going to go further. You're going to go past Sunday service. Okay, so so far, in case, you, in case you're watching the edited version of this, um, he hasn't given any definite how for two things. One, how to apply the text he read. How are we supposed to love our enemies and go two, go two miles instead of one? How are we supposed to uh, give more when they've already stolen from us? How are we supposed to love those that persecute us? How, how are we supposed to love our enemies? How? I don't know, because so far all he said is we are supposed to love them because you're younger. Like you're, It's just going to click for you. We can't do it. We're too old. We don't understand the Bible. But you guys will. You'll get it. Here's my question. How is the younger generation going to understand how to live like Jesus if the word is not proclaimed to them in the proper way? I mean, if they're just told, hey, you're younger, so it's going to work. That's not going to work. I can tell you because, again, this is regurgitated from a thousand times before I know a bunch of people that heard the same message that I did that sat beside me that aren't following Jesus anymore in fact they're they're opposed to him strongly so how how are they gonna learn that how are they gonna learn that if we don't preach the gospel to their parents and the Holy Spirit moves and eliminates those stops that you say are there that are apparently unmovable so that we can, as the scripture says in First and Second Timothy, the older generation teaches the younger generation because the older generation understands the scripture and therefore then gives it to the younger generation through teaching and living it out. But apparently we can't do that anymore because we have stops that we just can't get past. I tell you another stopping point right now for my generation, politics. 
politics means the policies that make up the constructs of the governing, the governing bodies and the social dynamics and the actions of citizens of the United States of America. There are people who systematically, categorically uh, believe that because I say Black Lives Matter that I am now affiliated with a particular political party. Young people, I want to remind you, though you may be, those watching may be a citizen of this country or a citizen of your respective country, I want to remind you, you are first. When you accept the name of Jesus, when you accept the forgiveness of Jesus, when you accept that there was a man, he was a God man, he claimed to be God, and then he was crucified, and then he predicted that in three days he would come out of the grave, he would beat death hell in the grave, and he would levitate into the clouds, and it actually happened. He was witnessed by hundreds of people. That man, Jesus is real. And if you believe in that Jesus and you've accepted his forgiveness, categorically, you are a citizen of an eternal country, a heavenly country. Okay, so he finally got to the kingdom part, um, though he sped through the gospel <laughs> uh, and uh, forgiveness really fast. He spent more time on a lot of other things than he did on that. Um, my question is, what am I asking forgiveness for? Like, what did I do? Like, I'm supposed to ask forgiveness. That's what he said. But from what? Like, what am I, what am I asking forgiveness for? Because I want to be part of the kingdom. Sounds like a pretty rad place, Judah. But, like, what? how do I become a part of that kingdom? Is it from what you read in Matthew, where I love my enemy? Like, that's is that how I... Uh, and what am I supposed to ask forgiveness for? For not loving my enemy? I don't know. Maybe he says. Let's, let's watch. Sure. Bible calls it a kingdom where there's a king and his name is Jesus. That is first and foremost my filter. That's my worldview. That's my perspective. And I have got to put all the policies of this country, as much as I respect them, understand their necessities, and in many cases celebrate some of the effective policies, I understand that my citizenship is first in heaven. There's going to be a generation that's going to grow. Okay, so this is one of the top three things he says in this sermon, like literally top best things that he says that I hope that if anyone's listening, maybe they just heard this because this is pretty good that everything we do as Christians, though he didn't make that statement and he's making an assumption here, but everything we do, we view through the lens of Jesus, which is the word of God, which is how we should view every, we view everything through this man named Jesus. So no matter what happens, culture that comes, which, Ironically, he's contradicting himself here, but whatever. We're not going to focus on the negative. We see culture through that lens. We see policy through that lens. We see other people through that lens. We see absolutely everything through the lens of Jesus and his fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Now, he didn't say that. I'm adding that because I think that's a, it's a, that is a big, important point to be made here. But we see everything through the lens of Jesus. Top three things he says in this entire sermon. Up, they're going to be more committed to their eternal citizenship than their earthly citizenship. That is a. I got a you. I got an American for. flag hanging in my house. Don't misunderstand me. I've got respect for so many aspects of this country. There is a level of freedom that we enjoy, but make no mistake about it. This is what we like to call. It's been coined by smarter people than me. The American experiment. This is an experiment. Let me tell you something about heaven. It's not an experiment. It is not under construction. It is not trying to improve. It is the perfect eternal. 
Now, hey, that's just uh, just a thought that ran across my head here. As we're looking at exegesis, hermeneutics, and preaching, he had a great opportunity here again to comment on the fact when he's talking about he's talking about politics and policy. Okay, so fine, talk about it. Great, awesome, wonderful. That was a perfect opportunity to say, so there are unjust policies, unjust laws, things that need to be changed that are over us right now in some aspects that need to be changed. So let's work to change those. But let's keep in mind what Jesus said back here in Matthew, which is that even if there are unjust policies and laws and people over us that persecute us, that are our enemies by world standards, that we go above and beyond fulfilling those unjust laws to unjust people. He won't say that, <laughs> but that's the connection. I mean, do you see? Because the, the whole point is here to teach you what to listen for and to what to look for, okay? And this was a prime moment that the connection, when he's talking about policies and procedures, could have been made back to Matthew where it says there are enemies that you have or perceived enemies culturally. They would tell you that they're your enemies. Jesus says to love those people. Go above and beyond for those people. Do way more than they deserve. Right? I mean, that's exactly what Jesus said. He said when somebody tells you to carry it one mile, you carry it two. In their head, they know that's an unjust law. It's not fair to them for them to do that. It's not their things. There are an unjust army government above them making them do that. And just like that, there are unjust rules, regulations, and laws that may be over us right now in some regards that we are then to say, I will go the extra mile. Now, I know it gets a little gray. You could apply that to a lot of things, but that is the connection there. Just saying. Perfect opportunity. Eternal home of the king of all the ages and the God who rules over all the earth and all the solar systems and all the universes. And the Bible says when you declare Jesus is God and you receive his forgiveness, you are immediately transferred into the citizenship of an eternal country. Yep. And so that bring country it back to now the shapes your views and your values and your desires and your passions and your everyday life. There's a generation Absolutely true. that's being raised up in this country so apply, that will no that longer believe that the gospel and America are one of the same. They will understand that, that there is an important distinction. Do, I think again, and though there have been historically, that. apparently, men and women who have uh, respected this book to an extent, we have got to unwind this synonymous philosophy that to be uh, to question the constructs of America is somehow unchristian. Don't get me started now, y'all. Apparently he just got blessed. Uh, but here's the point. Again, do you see what I'm saying? Do you, hopefully you've seen during this opportunity, this monologue that he has, he has a million opportunities to connect this back to what he says in Matthew. Like to, to make the one-to-one -one comparison Instead of just this vague generality that you're going to be able to do it, but I wasn't able to, but you're going to be able to. So we're not being told how we're going to be able to. We're not going to be able to be told how this connects to Scripture at all. And this isn't distinctly Christian, right? 
I mean, all you have to do is say, let's, let's live like Jesus lived. There's lots of people that are totally okay with that because you're not mentioning sin, repentance. To be fair, he has mentioned sin. Or he has mentioned forgiveness, rather. He hasn't mentioned sin at all. <clears throat> let's just move on. Invited me to YC camp, and that's Kramer and Shaddai and Kieran's fault. But that's just not the case. Jesus is an American. Well, he's God, so, well, he's Jewish. He has an ethnicity. He's Jewish. Do you know Jesus is still Jewish? You know, the Bible declares Jesus is still in a physical, visible form, that when we see him, he will have the characteristics of the Jewish ethnicity. He's Jewish. He's, I'm going to say it again. Okay, so <clears throat> to clarify this theologically, um, theologically, Jesus, when he ascended into heaven, did take humanity with him. So there is a part of humanity in the Godhead. Now, that's as far theologically um, and biblically you can really go. Uh, there have been people that make the assertion that Judah is making here. Uh, but overall, the idea is that there is just the idea is that there is humanity now uh, because Jesus uh, bodily resurrected and he ascended into heaven uh, and he he was he was flesh when he did that. Now, that's as far as like theological conjecture you can have based upon Bible like scripture. Now, if you look in Revelations, for example, chapter five, whenever you look at um, the, the, the seat, uh, the judgment seat, and who's able to open the scroll, you don't see a Jewish Jesus. You see a lamb that was slain that is worthy to open the scroll because he is the Lion of Judah, okay? Um, and this is just me saying it here, lining it up with Scripture. I'm following his thought into the Bible. Um, scripture doesn't seem to put that much emphasis on race or ethnicity. Other than to say that in heaven, there will be every tribe, every nation, every tongue to demonstrate that God's overarching plan to redeem humanity has been fulfilled. But what we see in the New Testament over and over again is this idea that uh, race and ethnicity have their part because of how cultures come together and uh, the way you were brought up and the, the traditions you have. But. Your lens that you see things with through Jesus, which again was one of his better points, usurps all of those things. So Paul can say there is no longer Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. The point is, is what he's saying is here, there is equality within the Christian kingdom, unlike the, uh, the inequality that's in the world. The point here is not race and ethnicity. It is that under Jesus, when you're in the kingdom of God, that there is an equality among believers. He's going to push on this point, which I think is really stretching it. And it's stretching into a narrative that he's working into a sermon that exegetically, hermeneutically, contextually isn't there, which then makes, again, we're looking at exegetic hermeneutics, sermon delivery and application. It's just rolling the dice here, it seems like. Jesus is not an Anglo-Saxon American. He died for and Everybody loves every Anglo-Saxon American 
but it's important for us to unpack and unwind and disconnect gospel and the United States of America. They are different. It's an important Judah, point. Judah, so, so, so you've given up on politics. No, there, there's policies that still are very important, of course. There is going to be and is right now reform, reformation, change. There has to be. Nonetheless, I, I encourage you to vote for those that can. You're so like, who's going to do that and why are they we doing can't that? Vote. For those That's watching the important part who kind of sneak in, in on the YC the camp night, I encourage you to vote. I encourage you to vote. I have to pray about who you vote for. Absolutely. But, <clears throat> but my brothers and sisters, I serve a president and a king that has not been voted in and will Amen. not be voted out. And his Again, term is not four One of his four years. better points that it's he makes eternity. during the sermon. And what he loves and what he cares about and what his priority is, that has to be my priority. Amen. Even if that priority disagrees with citizens of the earthly country I am a part of. I believe you are going to follow Jesus further than politics. I would love real-life applications here. Politics. I believe that you're also going to follow Jesus further than your pain. You're going to follow... There is a generation, what? and I know my generation struggles with this. We literally, we want to follow Jesus until it hurts. We want to follow Jesus until it's painful. We want to follow Jesus until it's difficult. I don't fault anybody. My dad's phrase was, uh, no pain, no pain, right? If you're like me, I'm like, Advil generation, shout amen, right? Like, give me old. three Advil, no pain, no pain. Yes, I'm not looking for pain. Everywhere. I'm not wanting pain. I'm not desiring pain. Pain. Oh, we got the piano but coming in. I think there's a generation in. that's growing up, and I think you are it. That you will follow Jesus to the point that it's painful and beyond. Jesus said that's what Even you should expect, by the way. Hurtful, As a Christian, painful, difficult. You should expect and maybe pain, it costs people to persecute you. Reputation people. or it yep. costs you. What Jesus said would happen, perspective guys. Perspective of your cost you. Not surprised. People or relationships you felt like you couldn't live he had a perfect opportunity i also think you're going to follow jesus uh, further than your ethnicity exactly right there i believe that your gospel the gospel of this next generation will not be ethnic centric it will not hold on hold on the gospel of this next generation now here's the thing i think we all kind of get what he's saying if you've been in church for a while uh, if you're following cultural uh, movements right now. I think what he's saying is that there are people that are prejudiced, uh, that are racist because it's a thing, um, and they back it up with scriptures because those scriptures have not been properly exegeted and preached to them, which is why it's so important, and that they have, when they've heard them, if they have been properly preached to them, not understood them in light of the gospel and the fact that they are not a part of this world, but they're part of God's kingdom. Oh, what? That's, that's what Matthew 5 was about. Anyway, moving on, that's what he's, I think, meaning. But if you don't know that, like if you're not connecting all of those dots, there's this idea that, oh, we're going to do the gospel a different way. Look, guys, the gospel has been passed down from generation to generation to generation. And it's the people that screw the gospel up, not the gospel that needs to change. Okay, It's the people that need to change, not 
the gospel. And the people only change when they're preached the gospel and the Holy Spirit brings conviction and change in our lives. But as I've already said for the billionth time, that only happens when the gospel is preached from the word and not just assumed. Moving on. Be a gospel that speaks only to your ethnicity, that you will not translate the story of Jesus and the ways of Jesus through your own ethnic filter, but that you will see it through the Again, supernatural filter of the spirit Paul, of Jesus. Paul saying there is and no we will move past our male, ethnicity, Gentile, understanding Jew. that we're all image bearers of God it's and that we will learn to love, listen, serve, and grow one with another. Shaddai said it on Sunday at church home. You can listen to that message on Wednesday and Sunday at the end of the sermon. He said, I want, he had all of us close our eyes. He said, I want you to imagine what heaven looks like. And then I believe he asked the question, does, it, does, does heaven all look like you? In Revelation of exactly look like what you? heaven looks like. Well, or an idea. Is it truly heaven? heaven like. Because the Bible says we're going to get there and there will be every tribe. There will be every language. There will be every kindred. Okay, so I know you probably think I've already been nitpicking, but let me nitpick some more. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that many of the people watching this sermon don't know their Bible that well. Could be wrong. I doubt it. When we are preaching scripture like he is now about every nation and tribe and tongue, it would be great if you could give a reference for that. So that if I am sitting down and I am listening and I am trying to be attentive and I am trying to learn what you're saying from the scripture, then I can write it down and look it up later. So pastors, as this is happening, again, we've been talking about not only how pastors should look at scripture, but how all of us should look at scripture. We need to look at the text, which by the way, we look, uh, he's a very passionate guy. I don't doubt that he loves Jesus, but he's done an absolutely terrible job of looking at the text and then applying it to modern day life. I think we've already seen that. He's had opportunities to do that, but he hasn't done that. But I think in light of that, like if I'm listening and you're going to hear some pastors that don't do that well, at least take notes and pastor take note that when you're preaching, give them a reference so that if they are listening, they can write it down. They can look at it later because that's a beautiful scene in Revelations that we see. There will be all the ethnicities that were on this little planet called Earth will be in eternity. And Amen. isn't it interesting that when we get to our forever country, we will be able to distinctly see who are different ethnicities. Amen. If we were all supposed to look the same and culturally be the same, we would get to heaven and we'd all be the same. But we're not. Because we all make up the beautiful aspects of who God is. You know what I dream of? I dream of a generation that will... Okay, that... Hold on. We all make up the beautiful aspects of who God is. Now, I don't know what kind of friends you have. I have some friends that are part of the new age, right? I really doubt that that's what he's saying. But that's the exact same terminology they use. That we are all aspects of who God is, just different ways of him living himself out through us and our actions. Look, the reason the picture in heaven is given, and again, this isn't my conjecture. This is commentaries. This is theologians. These are people that have studied the totality of scripture and then connected it all together, okay? Not that Judah hasn't done that. 
I'm just saying though. Um, the idea here is that God's ultimate plan to save humanity, which includes different nations and tongues and ethnicity, like it's because he's good and his promise is fulfilled and he's done what he said he was going to do. And are we going to be able to distinguish? Maybe. But it is, is it because we're all a little piece of God? I would, I would have a theological issue with that. Again, he's not given any scripture to back that up. That is conjecture. And I think it's a little dangerous because of the culture we live in new age wise to just make that conjecture. We'll bring rise to a church that looks like heaven. And as I come to a conclusion, which is miraculous, I'm only two minutes over time right now I'm telling you that. I want to tell you something, young people, and if you'd allow me for a moment, I think this will specifically, this might be a surprise to the white young people listening to this sermon. Do you know that these distinctions we have in 2020, the white church and the black church, do you know why that exists? Do you know why we have a white church and a black listen church? Listen to this. Just listen. Do you know why right now some of you are like, well, I go to this kind of church, I go to that kind of church. I, you know, and and we, we literally describe our churches based on ethnicity. That's Think not about entirely that. true. That's ab- in mean, that this nation, somewhat history, true. There that was is only not entirely true. He's using that broad brush again. Just the church. Again, not connected Black to men and women who were taken the from their home in Africa and brought here in chains those black men and women were not allowed to worship in the church. That's accurate. So for survival, for the opportunity to worship black men and women, boys and girls in the United States of America started another church. And so, they started well, having church by themselves. This yeah. will be a church for our people. It started because white men and women who read this book and were Christians wouldn't allow black men and women and families to worship with them. So today in 2020, people think racism is old. Pastor, you got to move on. Okay, so a couple things here. Uh, One, definitely, if you have a minute, look into the history of uh, early church development within you know, this colonial area, slave time, that sort of thing, because it is, it's incredibly interesting as far as how culture developed, how uh, traditions came in, as far as how ethnicity really influenced how things were done. Um, his point here, though, and if I may so say again, it has nothing to do with Matthew chapter 5, or the text he read, I think it was Matthew chapter 5, it has nothing to do with that at all. Um, which means this sermon's it's totally off the rails at this point. Um, but he's bringing this up to say that the church should be like heaven, which would be of every nation, tribe, and tongue, um, which in some situations is a- absolutely possible and has been done. Now, is it easy? No, it's definitely not easy because of, again, background and 
you know, uh, expectations of how music will be done, sermon length, like all that. I mean, he already mentioned that he's two minutes over time, right? In some churches, depending on your ethnicity or location in the world, there is no such thing as a timer. Um, they're going to go for hours, right? So automatically, just see the juxtaposition there. So point being, um, there are places where that happens. But if you talk to those pastors, uh, they're going to tell you like that is – Talk about sanctification. Like that is a hard work to happen. But it's beautiful when you see a lot of different people worshiping Jesus together, which is great. He's saying, though, that that is, a, that is almost an expectation. There are certain places where that just is not going to be able to happen. I mean, there might be like one or two different ethnicities there, right? So they've moved to this town for work. So you have, a, you know, for example, a Korean couple in a church, uh, a totally black church, right? Because that's just, that's the dynamics and makeup of the area. Or maybe you have a couple black people that are now in a white church or vice versa. You could make a thousand different combinations. The point is it's totally based on demographic makeup. So this is a false equivalency that this is a have-to for the church. Should the church move toward uh, making sure we are uh, making sure we're reaching out to all people? Yeah, duh, yes, great commission. Uh, should we move toward the fact that, uh, as we see in other letters in the New Testament, that no matter who comes in, no one is sure, shown preference, but everyone is treated equally? Well, yeah, duh, that's what the scriptures say. Should we go out purposely and seek out different ethnicities to bring them into our church so we are diverse? No, that's stupid. Talk to the people in your area. Preach the gospel to the people outside your doors. Why? Going back to the text we started with. So that they can become kingdom people. So that they can then go out as kingdom people, loving and living with those around them. When they are persecuted, they give love. When they are, things are taken from them, they say, what else can I give you? When there's an unjust law above them, they say, how can I go two miles more for you? So that the people that they call their enemies, or the culture rather calls their enemies, will say, why are you living in this way? And they can preach the gospel to them. Regardless if they're Korean, Chinese, black, white. In case you've noticed, he's, he, he's preaching more on culture than he is on the Bible at this point. So if we're looking at this from an exegetical, hermeneutical, applicable way, we've not even touched the text. Not at all touched the text. We've heard a lot of you know, uh, hot-button words right now. We've heard a lot of, again, very impassioned pleas in some regards for very good things. But we haven't heard one way to apply them in an actual uh, applicable way based on Scripture. Which is the job of a pastor is to preach the word, divide the word rightly. Why? For the benefit of the Christians that are listening so that they can then say, ah, this is how I live for Jesus. Or if they're already not living for Jesus, if there's certain things there that he talked about, the blocks, the things that they, they won't go any further. When the gospel is preached, the Holy Spirit convicts and their lives are changed. This is why exegesis 
Uh, exegeting the text, preaching the text is important. This is why when we read and do Bible study, it's important to look at this, ask these questions. Anyway. Really? When I said black church or white church, probably every single one of you young people listening right now were like, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's what it is. That's not what it's supposed to be. Do you know that? It's not God's Again, plan. Just, Reference my previous. That was comments. a result of systematized, maligned, manipulative interpretation of this book to demean a people group and not even allow that people group to worship Jesus. Okay, so that's true. So he's identified the problem. So at this point, we're not even going to talk about the text that you read originally. It's absolutely out the window. It doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't even matter, apparently. So, okay, fine. We've identified the problem. The word of God was not preached correctly, ironically, right? So what do we do to fix it? What do we, what do, we do to fix it? Let's go. In church. Well, everybody wants, you know, the pastor of church home. This guy, Judah, everybody, it's like, Judah, that's third person. Bear with me. But everybody wants the pastor to stop being political. Now I want you to preach. Okay, deal. Just I'd preach. like to be just theological. Okay, yes. That's preach. what I'd like to be. My Do job it. is a theologian. My job is to tell yes. you the story of Jesus. My it's job is to tell you the yes. history of the church. My job is to tell you how the gospel has evolved, how the gospel has grown. My job is mm, to explain evolved? to you those who have mistreated this book, those who have mishandled this book, those who have, that, that's, that's my job. Gospel and if it relates evolve, to your political guys. party, so be it. But that's not my job, nor am I educated or smart enough to speak on all of the nuances and policies of this nation. But I am ordained, given authority by God, to speak on the gospel. Please. The gospel. Please. It's only speak about on the one thing. Yes, God why? and people, which actually is two things, but God and people. That's all okay, it is. Preach it. You know the most important thing in this universe, other than God himself, who is the center of this universe? People. It's people. Do you notice how we identified the problem, but now we're just, we're just not going to talk about the problem. We're not going to talk about any solutions, application. He's supposed to be pretty okay. So let's see. He's got a, he's got maybe a couple minutes left here. He's identified his job as to preach the gospel, ordained by God Himself. Let's see if he finishes it up. People, there's a generation that's being raised up that is going to follow Jesus further. Than the policies you. and the politics, which is fine, of this generation. Going to follow Jesus further than their ethnicity. Going to learn to live in another man. He's hammering this ethnicity thing hard, guys. Whatever. Has nothing Whatever to do with happened the text. to love your neighbor? Whatever happened to being your brother's keeper? Whatever happened. Okay, hold on. So the problem is, that's not innately in us. We're sinful. How do we do that? By being changed by Jesus. The gospel. Preach it. To soft, broken, humble hearts. Where Jesus' followers are cut to the core. When the sin is revealed. And they take ownership. At least say, we mentioned I, sin. I'm responsible. God, help me. I want to be like you. 
Young people, don't you ever forget this. Jesus says, you want to walk with me? You want to be like me? I want you to let your life go. I literally want you to let it go. And I want, to, I want you to trust me with your dreams, desires, urges, surges, passions. I want you to trust me with all that. And I want you to surrender and yield to my plan and purpose. Oh, God is shaking. Preach the scripture there too. The United States of America, and he is shaking the nations of the world. And I refuse to be an agent of settling when God is shaking. God is shaking things. He's shaking the constructs of our worldviews. He's shaking our theology to its core. And I believe you're the generation. You are going to be and are the two-mile generation. Lastly, and I end with this, I believe you're going to follow Jesus further beyond, past the known. The known. The known. What does that mean? The known. Everybody wants to go back to the way things are. Past the... Everybody wants us to get back to normal. I don't like normal. Is that okay to say? I don't want to go back. I don't like what's back there. By the way, there is no such thing in the economy of Jesus Christ. There's no such thing as going back. Quite frankly, I'm not sure there's a thing called normal with Jesus. What is normal? There's holiness. What's normal with a Messiah when he's told he's got to pay taxes? He says, come on, guys. And they go down to a body of water. He catches a fish, grabs it, opens it mouth, and pulls out a gold coin and says, go pay the taxes. Is that normal? He's a disruptor by nature. His kingdom is from another realm. He lives in a different world. He says things that are mysterious and beyond our understanding. I believe you're the kind of generation that you are not going to participate or co-sign with these concepts of let. Okay, so um, he's setting up this idea that Jesus is a disruptor that he is not part of the norm or the status quo which if you read the gospels especially the sermon on the mount which this text came from our original text came from you would see that that is true if you're saying if if you're specifically dealing with the uh, religious status quo of the day the law and the prophets it's also true if you're if you're dealing with the cultural concept of loving your enemy for the day. Judah's assuming that the, the, the context in which Jesus is speaking to these people is the exact same context that we're dealing with. Though it's similar, it's not the same. He's already said that America is not the gospel and the gospel is not America, which is absolutely true. Um, but now we're making the equivalency that... Jesus is a disruptor, therefore he's making the line that we should be a disruptor if we're followers of Jesus to the status quo. The status quo of our day is not the same as the status quo of the day of the original hearers of this message. Which is important because one, Jesus didn't tell them to be disruptors in this particular text or any text. But yet Judah is making the equivalency that we should be disruptors of the status quo 
in our day. I might be taking it a little extreme here, but this is something that as uh, pastors or as people that look at the word and look at the culture and context and apply it to today's word, uh, we need to be careful to do this, that uh, we don't make false connections and uh, apply false ideas when we preach, assuming that that's also what's in the text. So nowhere in the text that we were reading does it say that you are Jesus is a disruptor and therefore you should be a disruptor as well. In fact, he says, love your enemies, submit to those that persecute you, and go further than they expect you to in, in helping them. I'm just trying to make a connection here for you. That this is not at all what the text he read means. Let's finish. Just get back to the way things were. The way things were. We're not okay. So God is changing things. They've never been okay. And of course, the challenge things is Things have it's, never been perfect. It's unknown. It's Every unknown. generation faces Someone an unknown said, for the know, next Jude, generation. I'm really concerned These about our church. I just think our church is so unsettled. Obvious. And I don't mean to, and I couldn't agree more but of course my follow-up statement was um yeah everyone is not just church home every church and every home is unsettled yep so what do we do how do, do we apply we the word to that think this is just the doing of man young people do you actually think this is the doing of a political party or can we step back for a moment even if for those, for some of us who don't prefer what's happening, can we step back and own the fact that this, this has to be God? Just so you know, sovereignty of God, somebody told God me, is always doing you know, or allowing July, the things that occur, you'll be speaking like from always. Even in 2019, when things were going great for you. For YC camp, and I'll be like, first of all, we don't have YC camp at the Kirkland campus. They would go on to say, there'll only be a camera crew Everybody sitting will be socially distancing and the auditorium will be essentially empty and you will be doing a virtual camp. I would say, why? Well, there's going to be a global pandemic, but amidst the global pandemic, there's going to be a global human rights movement that's going to change the face and landscape of this nation and the world. I'd be hard pressed to believe that. I don't think any man or political party could pull this off. That's absolutely Sorry. true. It's a sinful world I have to believe. in which sinners are doing sinful things that needed Jesus. I have to believe this is God. And yes, God and could I totally. I would like to say. I'll pause this real quick. I know we're about to the end. Yeah. Uh, yes, sinful people do sinful things in every generation. And God is always working in those people in that time in order to get his message further out and for more people to know about him and to come into the kingdom until one day he comes back and gets rid of all sin and rebellion. So yeah, God's definitely using this time, just like he used last year, and like he used the year before, and the year before. So what can you learn from this time according to Matthew? Is that God controls everything in it within everything? We are still his kingdom people to follow him. That was another connection that could have been made. I think it's a setup for your generation. 
yep, it's about your generation is way more called out people about your age group and your generation than it is about mine. On my drive into this auditorium tonight, tears filled my eyes, or today, tears filled my eyes because I realized it was my job tonight to tell you it's your turn. It's your, supposed to be your job this to preach the Bible. You got to take this further. Don't wait for me. Don't wait for my age group. Oh my goodness. Challenge the norms. Please. Challenge the constructs. Embody the teachings of Jesus. Okay, there. Embody the teachings of and Jesus. Go full steam ahead into the unknown. What could the church look like in the future? What if we could abolish white church and black church? What if we could just be the church? Okay. So here's the thing. To make a connection, Jesus says to his disciples, you will always have the poor. Right? So it's, it's in, this, in this particular context and scenario in which people are saying, Judas is like, hey, you know, we, we need to take care of the poor. Why, aren't you, why, don't you, why don't your disciples do that? I forget the exact context, honestly. I don't have it in front of me. The idea that Jesus says, though, is that you'll always have the poor with you. Always. Okay? But you won't always have me. So that's why we're doing this right now. The overlying idea is here there are certain things that will always be a part of humanity. Okay? Is racism evil? Yes. Will it likely always be a part of humanity? Yes. Why? Because of sin. So sinful men and women that do not know Jesus will always have racism in their hearts. Always. So how do we fight racism? By preaching the gospel to men and women of every different tribe, nation, and tongue. So will there, always, will there ever be an abolishment of a white church or a black church? Probably not. Because of different demographics and different regions and different, I mean, it's very unlikely. And I also want you to see the false equivalency here that a, a totally white church is a racist church or a totally black church is a racist church. So he wouldn't make that claim. But that's simply not true. Because a Christian church that follows Jesus, regardless of who comes into that church, is welcomed and loved as we have been welcomed and loved by God. So the idea that these just disappear is very unlikely, not because of racism, but because of demographics and makeups of regions. Should the church strive to look like heaven? Of course. Is the church bad or not following the Bible if it doesn't because of different things that are present or not present in the area? No. What if a generation could grow up and could actually start to materialize the gospel in physical, visible form, even amongst the church? That's what the church is supposed so to be doing So many personalities, already. so many influencers, so many preachers, so many speakers, so many news anchors are telling us that you know, we've got to love each other and the nation's got to change How and do you the do political that? party's got to Only come together Jesus. and we got to heal and we got to... And all of that is, I'm no doubt, I'm sure it's true. 
But I would like to make one final appeal, and it's this. I would like to imagine with Turn you Jesus. for a moment. So join me. Hold on to Jesus. Let's use our God-given imagination. Imagine just this one set of circumstances. What if simultaneously at 6.56 p.m. on July 24th, not 42nd, we actually collectively, simultaneously, as Jesus followers, just started to love each other the way Jesus loves. That yeah, would probably be about 100 simple. million Christians we'll in this nation. Snap it into give existence, or take. guys. Because sanctification is a 100 million Christians. Just will it. Simultaneously loving each other. I'm not, I'm not talking about people that don't know Jesus. I'm talking about just loving each other. Now imagine with me what would happen to this country. Difficult. It's just we can just do it. And then imagine with me what would happen to the nations of the world. It would be a wrap, as they say. Everything would shift and change. The nation. Now hold on. Has that ever happened in the history of ever? including the early church? Um, no. In fact, when the early church did begin to explode and grow, and they, uh, it says in Acts, right, there was none that they were in need of anything. They all loved each other. Everything, you know, they were all one with another, giving as the other needed to have, right? Gosh, I don't have that verse in front of me. That would be a great verse to have. Um, it's in Acts, though, early part of Acts. Um, what happens? Well, eventually, actually, the church is scattered and persecuted. It wasn't a wrap. It wasn't like Jerusalem's like, oh, my goodness, guys, this is amazing. We should all join in on this. Do you see if when we take statements from anybody, him, anybody, and don't apply them to the Bible, it sounds like a utopia. If all the Christians could just love each other, then this would all be over. It would all be wonderful. It would be great. Look, all the Christians have never all loved each other. Okay. Now, we're supposed to, and there's this heart to where we can, right? So if anybody comes into the church, we love them as God loves us, or we attempt to as best as we can as the Holy Spirit is working on our hearts, because it's not just as simple as a, as, a, as, a, as a click, right? But even in the early church, when things were going pretty well, it wasn't like everyone around them just was like, oh my goodness, this is great. Now, did the church grow? Yes. Why? Because of the preaching of the gospel. Because Jesus' name was proclaimed. Despite who you were, it went out. But guess what happened after that when Christianity exploded? Persecution happened. Never in the history of ever have people seen Christians loving each other and goes, we should join that just because they're loving each other. The church grew in every aspect in the word, because the gospel was proclaimed and Jesus was talked about and repentance was sought. That's what grew the church. Just saying, a little history. Would stand back and say, and who are these people? Look how they love. Is that what they say about us now? Look how those Christians love. Is that what they say? It's not. Jesus Which says, is a problem. Do you love people? But that, that doesn't like solve you? all the problems. Do you go to people's houses that are all like you? Have the same political persuasion? Have the same worldview? Same income? Same ethnicity? Is that your life? For most of us, it is. Jesus says, you don't need me to do that. But I have, 
I have filled you with my love and my forgiveness and my spirit so you could learn to love people that maybe you've never understood or never known how to love before. I, I think you're the, you're the two-mile generation. If my generation went one, you're going to go two. This nation needs you, and I end with this, and I promise you I'm done. What's extraordinary is you can hear the piano, but I cannot. It is silent. And for that, I am discouraged. But I will get over it. I was so hoping to hear your beautiful plane, but I believe it is being pumped through the World Wide Web. But having said that, in, in conclusion, um, this church needs you. You hear me, 16-year-old? You hear me, 17-year-old? I've been asked by a few people, including should I tonight, what about your kids? And I'm going to say it again. I feel like I'm learning from watching my kids. They don't have to unlearn what I'm currently trying to unlearn. I'm currently in an unlearning state while simultaneously a learning state. But both are very important. Two things. I already mentioned one. The older generation is supposed to teach the younger generation uh, the word of God and the application of that word, not only through teaching, but also through living it out. Um, I don't know what he's unlearning other than perhaps bad biblical precedents. That seems to be what he's alluding to. Uh, what is he learning, though? Is he learning good biblical precepts? Because what we've seen so far is that he's taken a verse out of context uh, a number of times if he's alluded to it at all. So what is he learning? As a white man, United States of America. And Never mind, there's, he's learning to be woke, apparently. I have accepted things that are just untrue and not even biblical. You? Okay, there you go. I believe you could be the generation that doesn't have to spend all the... So here's the thing. He's learned that he's accepted things that are not biblical. So why? Right? I mean, if the word is being proclaimed and properly uh, dug through exegetically and properly understood hermeneutically and properly preached with the application of the fact that we are all equal. We are, everyone has the imago Dei, the image of God, and we are to treat people like we ought to treat them. What are you learning? How does it apply to the scripture we're looking at right now? Loving your enemy? Have you not always loved your enemy? I don't know. See, this is why it's very unclear. Sermons should be precise, clear, and the way you can do that is by following the text the way it ought to be followed, by pulling out the context and applying it to the now, connecting those two and saying, as Jesus followers of people that are part of another kingdom, this is how we act. If you don't act that way, you need to look at yourself and ask yourself, are you a part of that kingdom or are you not a part of that kingdom? Do you follow and submit to Jesus or you do not follow and submit to Jesus? It's a pretty clear litmus test. I'm unlearning because from a young age, Jesus himself helped you learn and understand. Ooh. I'm a visionary by nature, and I can look into the next 10 years. You 16-year-olds will be 26. 
I can hear the piano. Thank you. Whoever did that. Thank you, World Wide Web. Thank you, Internet. Can you see it? Can you see yourself? 26. Can you see yourself right now? 17, 18, 16, 15, 14. Changing the world. Changing this church. How and why? I need you. Young people, I, as the pastor, I need you. Show me what you see. Show me what you've experienced. Change the parents. Change the adults. Show us a better way. Change the church. It's not okay. Okay, so here's the thing. His assumption right now, apparently, is that the church is racist uh, by nature and that the children are the ones that are supposed to, 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 to lead the way uh, in order to change the parents, not only the parents, but apparently the pastors. The, the children need to usurp the authority that we see in Scripture in order to usurp the parents and tell them how to live and then also tell the pastors how to preach based upon their understanding of the word. Now, this assumes that they know the word automatically, apparently, and haven't been taught the word by their parents or their pastors, which in this case apparently is, could be very well true. Um, the idea here is totally backwards to what we see in Scripture. Now, are there people that are racist in the church? Absolutely, there are people that are racist in the church. Is the church itself racist? No. So how do we fix the problem that apparently is just bogging him down during the sermon that has nothing to do about race or this passage that has nothing to do about race? Well, okay, fine. Let's answer the question. As kingdom people, going back to the text, that live in such a way that we love our enemy, which is anyone that the world would say, hey, they don't like you. They, they come against you. They do things that you, shouldn't, uh, that, that you shouldn't like them for. Well, as kingdom people, we then love them. And no matter what happens, we continue to love them. They take things from us, we give them some more. They ask us to go a mile, we go two miles. They lie and persecute us. We clarify and love them some more. He's taking the biblical construct from top down, Jesus, elders, parents, children, and going, children teach their parents and pastors. It's ridiculous. The church is great, and God's going to bless his church and build his church. He promised that, but Jesus is in the process of changing his church, and he changes his church because the Spirit comes on people, and those people step up and speak out, and the church That's shifts. true. That part right there. Racism is in correct. this country is first a theological problem. A so problem. I plead with you, young people, be the two mile generation. Don't stop at one mile. Don't do what's just expected. Don't live for the norm. Don't be like everybody else who is the same ethnicity as you. Be different. Buck some. Don't be like everybody else that is also a sinner like you. Follow Jesus. Be radical. Just a thought. The rules. What rules? Resist some of the substructures that are what not in the story of Jesus. So and you're being let so us broad. be the disruptive followers of Jesus. What does that look like? And let like? the church change. It's high time for the church to change. It's your time. Why? What's wrong it's with your the church? It's your turn. So Speak people out. are what needs to Speak change. Speak out. Stand up. Declare God's word. Oh, dare. Oh, my and goodness, I yes. With all my heart. Declare so God's dude, word. I don't even know how I feel about the church. Gotta help you, gotta give you love for the church. Church's got to change. And as the church 
changes in to relationship what? What? to the sin of racism, so will the nation. It's going to happen. Another false equivalency that has nothing to do with what we read in Scripture. So maybe he's saying that when we live as kingdom people, loving our enemies, submitting to unjust laws, walking extra because of that, and when people steal from us, we give them even more. When we do those things, trying to make a connection here as he ends, the world sees that we are kingdom people that live differently. And because we're different, they say, who is this God that you follow? This may be what he's saying, but it's not been said very clearly if that's what he's saying. I am not standing here tonight because I simply want to speak on current events. I'm over that. I'm standing here tonight because I am compelled and convicted by the story of Jesus and the person of God himself that where we are could not be more important. And what this country needs is Jesus followers who live and love and look like him. That's true. It's absolutely true. I'm done. We need your courage. We need your passion. We need his courage. Jesus' courage. We need courage. your zeal. We need, we need your zeal. purity. They're we need Jesus your candor. Purity. We need young people to provoke the church to change. So I ask you to be the two minds. To bring generation. up issues. To identify hypocrisy you, and approach it in a correct Judah, manner. Judah, how will this yeah. happen? God's going to help us. God's going to help us. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I thank you. For All right, so he's done. I'm done. This is about two hours worth of video. God help you if you watch the whole thing. That's way too long. But um, hopefully you've got a little bit out of this, whether you watch the edited or unedited version of this video to see that it is incredibly important to stick to the context whenever we're preaching scripture. We do not read texts out of the Bible in order just to read texts out of the Bible. We read texts as pastors to preach the word of God, to convict the heart of sinners. The Holy Spirit does that. We, he uses our words in order to make sure that we change to be more like Jesus through the power of sanctification, or if we're not saved, to save us from our sin and bring us to Jesus so that we can see through the lenses of Jesus and operate differently in a world than we did before, knowing that the world's going to hate it, but we're going to live that way anyway. Hopefully you've seen that this was an absolute butchering of the text. Again, this is nothing against Judah. This just happens to be this just happens to be his sermon. If I get a little heated, which I don't think I really did, but if it came off that way, it is because that when you come away from this sermon, I think what you hear more than anything is that racist is bad, the church is racist, therefore the church is bad, therefore the church needs to change. And though select parts of that may ring true a little, 
that had nothing to do with the text. And if you wanted to preach on racism, you could have picked other texts to preach on about how, uh, you know, Philemon, for example, or, uh, or, or Corinthians, right? There's, there's a lot of different passages you could have preached on to sh talk about um, kingdom living in, in light of different ethnicities. So whatever, guys. Hopefully this was helpful. If you got through the whole thing, let me know because you are a better person than I am. I'll talk to you later.